The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. Yeah, in the UK, sometimes you want to ship to Africa and stuff. So all I wanted to ship was a gearbox. And checking for a shipping service, you know, the cost I was getting was almost the same gearbox amount that I bought. A car gearbox, yeah. The cost of shipping was almost the, the price of a gearbox. So, so I thought that, yes, yeah, business could be made out of this. You should mark this date on your calendar, 21st to 22nd November 2017. That's when I'm hosting the second series of High Growth Africa Summit. Last year, the High Growth Africa Summit 2016 was lit. We had over 350 entrepreneurs and investors across Nigeria, other African countries, UK and US. And we had loads of great speakers. This year, it's going to be bigger and better. It's happening in Lagos. We expect to gather more than 750 entrepreneurs and investors. This is not your average conference. The focus will be about learning how to build, scale, and fund your own business in Africa. There will be workshops, seminars, and masterclasses on practical stuff like how to validate a startup idea, how to grow your business through digital marketing, how to hire and manage a software development team, key questions investors will ask you before taking a meeting. The sessions will be taken by entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and have battle scars to show, and investors who are currently taking big risks on African startups. To attend this conference, you need to register at highgrowthafrica.com that is h-i-g-h-g-r-o-w-t-h africa.com it's happening on the 21st to 22nd november 2017 in lagos nigeria the ticket is less than 30 dollars for general pass and 100 for the investor pass but the ticket price goes up as we get closer to the conference go to highgrowthafrica.com and register now that is h-i-g-h-g-r-o-w-t africa.com and register now. My guest today is Adam Doshe. He's the founder of Swiftly. Swiftly is solving a problem that I'm familiar with. I'm an African in diaspora living in the UK and I know a lot about trying to buy stuff and shipping it to Africa. It could be used car, it could be a used item and I know a lot of friends that want to ship stuff to Africa. One of the major challenges is it's not cost effective if you're not shipping a lot and sometimes getting the right uh, freight company can be hard. What Adam is doing through Swiftly is to enable you to discover and have good transparency about the cost and the speed of different shipping companies. So if you want to buy a car in uh, New Jersey and you want to ship it to uh, Ghana, uh, you can just go to Swiftly app and discover the shipping company that can deliver it to you. Uh, you can select by the price, by speed, by quality. So they make it like Uber for shipping for freight companies. And so just to go with that a cliche. And it's interesting to have Adam with me today at Building the Future. And he's going to talk about the business. And he's going to talk about himself and what he's doing. So Adam, welcome to Building the Future. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Pleasure to be here. So let's start from the beginning. You um a single founder and you... This is your first business. That's right. What is the aha moment for you to start this? How did you start what you're doing now and what led you to this? So like you said, and I very much appreciate what you said because um, in the UK, sometimes you want to ship to Africa and stuff. So all I wanted to ship was a gearbox. And checking for a shipping service, you know, the cost I was getting was almost the same gearbox amount that I bought. Car, car, a car gearbox, yeah. 
the cost of shipping was almost the, the price of a gearbox. So, you know, by, by the end of story, I couldn't buy the gearbox again. So I got back to Ghana and then along with that, I got experience in the shipping industry. I got to work for a company that has a lot of freight. And so, did you decide to go work in the shipping industry because you want to understand that problem, or it just no. happened that you started working in the shipping industry? Yes, connects to the problem that you had in the UK. So I just happened to work for a shipping related industry, and so when I got in, I got to know the workings of the industry. So I, I realized how cargo can be consolidated um, into you know one box or one container, you know, to save on cost. I connected the new discovery back to the problem that I feel. I said, oh, so if I had a service like this, I could have brought my gearbox back at um, much less than what I was going to pay for it. So let's go back to when you were working with the shipping industry, you discovered that they used to save more money or they, yes. the model is based on charging customer a lot, but then they save more money and now they charge by so putting everything together in one small container. So the company I was working for, Swanda, actually brought down the goods from the UK. So I, I was involved in declaring of the goods and all that. I saw how they did it. So if they were bringing down a container load, other importers were bringing down smaller cargo or fit it in into what the main importer was bringing. It ended up saving them costs. Okay, so somebody will pay for the container. Yes. Um, because that person has got a big item to ship. Yes. And then a smaller company, yes. with smaller containers, yes. smaller items, yes. you know, negotiate with that. Yes. So can you sell us X amount of space yes. in you? Yes. And in your container. And that's how people reduce costs. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And they would stuff their stuff into the extra space. And so they got to pay much less than consigning for themselves. They would have stuffed their items. Their items, yes. It's interesting when you say stuff. And yeah, that's right. Know, that's also a bit confusing. Yeah. So this is a diversion, by the way. So the Ghanaian English accent is totally different from the Nigerian <laughs> English accent. Nigerian English accent is no better than the Ghanaian accent, by the way. So I don't want to start Oh, my goodness. My goodness. But then there's the way uh, quite a lot of Ghanaian French staff or uh, uh, bass. <laughs> is that a regional accent or is that general? Because in Nigeria, there's no Nigerian accent. Okay, mm-hmm. there's the Igbo English accent in Yoruba, like my own accent is a bit Yoruba. Okay. And the Northern accent. So this staff, bass, <laughs> is that a regional accent or is this, is this generic? Okay, so it's difficult to make out any Nigerian when he speaks. Because we know how you sound, but we don't. In fact, we don't know. I'm just getting to know that internally in Nigeria, there's also a Yoruba accent and Igbo accent, all that. And but is it I, difficult I believe, for you to know Nigerians when they say, "Well, no"? The moment that a Nigerian speaks, and you know, typical Nigerian, he's able to pick it out. Is it? So not it's a generic Nigerian. That's accent. right. But not the Nigerians like Toro Rero, because when Toro speaks, you, you know, you cannot know that it's a Nigerian speaking. <laughs> yeah, because he has a bit of American. Accent. That's right. So, yes. So the typical ones, you know, who are very, very been in Nigeria all, all along, it's very, very easy to make them out as Nigerians. Yeah. And so there's a generic there's a generic accent. Nigerian accent. In Ghana like as well. Like my accent. Yes, yes, yes. There's no mistake about that. It's a, it's a Nigerian accent. Oh, yes. Yeah. But then, the, in Ghana, is there a generic accent? So in Ghana as well, um, whenever we speak, Nigerians are able to tell that we are Ghanaians. But then, internally as well, we are also able to make out where people are from based on how their accent has been customized. <laughs> so, if somebody from the Ashanti region was speaking, you would know that it's an Ashanti man, or from the Volta region was speaking, you could know. You could easily tell that it's somebody from the Volta region. But then, I think when we go outside and we meet foreigners, they are also able to tell that yeah, it's, it's a Ghanaian. Yeah, okay. So, again, that's just a bit of a diversion. About mm-hmm. that so, going back to the business model, there is something there where so you discover that. Rarely do shipping companies 
just own the whole of the sh- container. They normally optimize it by working with other people. Sure. So that's what you discovered. Yes, that's what I, I discovered. So I thought that, yes, yeah. business could be made out of this because around the time, you know, at the, these companies were also has, had really started flying as companies like Uber and Airbnb. And basically, they were tagged as a sharing economy companies. So they had their industries like Airbnb for the hospitality industry and Uber for the rides and all that. So, you know, I thought, okay, so who is doing this in the shipping industry? So why don't you take that model, that sharing economy model, and apply it into shipping? So that was what influenced my decision to start swiftly. And so I quickly got resources together to start a company. And then the original idea was to have a peer-to-peer. Yes, a peer-to-peer uh, sharing. Where people can use their own utilized That's right. uh, space. Yes. So walk me through in, in initial, in what you did initially and your how you be the MVP for that peer-to-peer. Yes. I know you moved on from that. That's right. From that process and from that model. But walk me through what you, what you did initially and when you started out. Okay. So when we started fresh, what we did was that we created a, a mobile app what a user would find is that when they sign up onto that, when they sign up, when they download and then they sign up, you just state your origin, the origin country where you're shipping from, destination country, the items that you are shipping. Yes. And then I think that we took the final address, delivery address or something like that. Yeah. And then other people who also use the same queries that, you know, you, you submitted. Uh, so if you were shipping from the UK, there was also another person. Okay, so well, yes, we'd like to state whether you were looking for space. So we call that find space. And then other people who had the space available, they had an, a feature called space available whereby they would submit, you know, details. Like, you know, they also the origin, what they were shipping, and then their destination. So that looks simple. That looks good. But what was the problem with that model? Okay. But that model came with so many problems. Number one, who determines how much who pays? So if you were bringing a television or sofa and somebody had space available, how will you be able to fairly apportion the cost responsibility of the party who is bringing the sofa or the television? That was a big, big problem for us. Number two, whose name is on the shipment? Who becomes, is it, do you say, okay, people are now single consignees or do you make it? Because what, in fact, if you are shipping by sea, and you are the single importer. It's called a full container load, called an FCO. And if there are a lot of people who come together to ship, it's called a less less container load. So it's called the LCO. So now if the person accepts your cargo into it, that means that the person will have to switch from an FCO shipment to a, an LCO shipment. All those things have to be straightened out. And then again, too, the logistics of how and where. So in the UK, the United Kingdom is a big place. It could be in London or Manchester, even though you are shipping from the UK. So you have to figure out where it's coming from as well. Yes. The port of departure. Departure. So you have to align that. So yes. if I want to ship, if I've got an extra space and, and because I'm shipping in a vacuator to Nigeria yes. and I've got extra space in the container, and I want to use the Tilbury shipping port in London. Yes. You, I don't know any sh- shipping port. I think that's the one in the East, east of Pennsylvania. Yes. And then you are, you want to ship something and you want to use land on own space. So you have to figure out how yes. to get to Tilbury. That's right. So the logistics of doing that was also a challenge. And then again, to the biggest problem we faced, the biggest problem we faced was the problem of critical mass. Because for that to be able to work, you need critical to mass will mean user acquisition. Yes. You need a lot of people to be on it for you to be able to yeah, work. Yeah, because it's a two sided marketplace. That's right. And then, unfortunately, uh, your own two sided marketplace is a bit like Airbnb, where you have 
your users are your supplier. They're not businesses. So they are the people that you have to acquire and you have to get them in a large quantity on like Uber. You can just get riders. That's right. Pay them, seed the platform, um, pay them to just be riding around. They spend some money on marketing yes. to get people to be booking those people. Yes. To be booking them. And then because the drivers are always available. Yes. And then over time, you stop paying the drivers per hour. Uh, you pay them per ride. But with you, you have to really spend a lot of money to actually get the other users because users then become the that's it. suppliers. That's it. So that's a big challenge for you. Yes. And so if somebody posted on a platform and then they were waiting to ship their items and there was nobody who had space available yet, it means that you will not be able to provide a solution to the person. You get frustrated. And they will not come back. They will again. not come back. They will not they will delete so the churn will be very high. Very, yes. So if that model was to work, we would have needed millions of dollars to spend on marketing. So, and who was going to give us billions of dollars at that time? Plus, I mean, a startup um, is supposed to be solving problem that exists and then you scale that yes. and you have uh, some traction. Yes. Some traction. And if you don't have that traction, there's no point spending millions of dollars on you. So. Because you don't even know whether that's the problem that people want to get solved. It's a problem, but you don't know whether that's how they want to solve it. So, startup is supposed to work with people and understand the problem and then provide solution for them as they get more understanding of what people want. Yes. Order to you know you, because there there comes the, the problem of time as well. So for instance, if I have my space available and I want my ship to move on the twelfth of um, July, but you are also not ready to dispatch your sofa for us to move at the same time, we will end up oh, so that's time. Also the problem of time. time. Yes. So mm-hmm. that model came with a lot of problems. And if did if you, you have did you do any shipment during that time? What happened was that if there was a successful match, all we did was to share contacts. So. You share the one who is searching for space contacts with the one who is advertising space so that they take it from there. So it wasn't an end-to-end model. So you never were able we, to get... We couldn't even tell that, okay, so you know, we had matches done on the platform. We had so, so matches, you know, done. But we weren't able to tell, okay, did it translate into... Okay, we matched some people together yes, yes. to the platform, but you didn't know because you couldn't track it. Yes. So how did you then move to the pivot? Yes, so along the line, because I, I was still in there. I still had knowledge of the industry. Whereas I look, this fit forwarders do the same thing called consolidated shipping. So that will save us some trouble because since the fit forwarders are there and they do this business day in, day out, if somebody comes to post that, that, that they have a soap, a sofa they want to ship, why don't you just match to a fit forwarder? That means you can fulfill the request. You know, there are a lot of fit forwarders in the UK. So you post on the platform that, look, I want to ship my sofa. We send a request to a fit forwarder or a number of fit forwarders so that they can quote for you. Then you get to ship at a very, very considerable rate. And then it's basically the same thing because the fit forwarders are people who also do consolidated shipping. And so instead of waiting for a peer to fulfill the order, we match peer to business, which means that the order can be fulfilled at any time. So you match a consumer directly to business. To so business, that's because yeah. you can quickly aggregate the freight forwarders. Yes. Um, because they are looking for business. That's right. Anyway, so you can really go to them and say, oh, this, we're just another channel for you to get business. That's right. So you quickly realize that. So what was the next step that you took to then action? Yes. So the next step was to tweak the platform or, you know, create new features for the platform to register freight forwarders. So we did that. And afterwards, we went on the grounds, you know, to speak to freight forwarders to sign onto the platform. When we went around, you know, the freight forwarders were also very happy. Like you said, it saves them trouble. Because from this, you know, we probably spend money on marketing to get customers. And we are saying that, look, we will advertise our platform. Anybody who posts their shipping request, we match, push the request to you. And then you can quote for it. So they kind of thought, look, it was 
was fantastic, valuable position. So a lot and of the, to commission in whatever they sell. Yeah, so initially, was a business model. Yeah, so initially we wanted to charge a commission on every shipment that we brokered between the shipper and then the freight forwarder. You know, so that was how it was. We we onboarded some freight forwarders. And they agreed to that? Yes, they agreed but to sign up. But how do you track that? So, so we use a Patreon platform. So thank you. So you got right back to what we just came from. Yeah, we have brought us to what we just came from. So initially we wanted the users to pay through our platform, you know, which was going to be an end-to-end model. But that also came with its problems. You know, this is a, it's a mammoth task. That was okay with this problem. i.e. if the customer pays we we're going to use a payment gateway to collect the monies and the customers are anywhere in the world anywhere in the world but you you would surely yourself targeting some customers yes we very much want the african diaspora markets you know that's like really in in specific countries in specific countries english speaking europe so from the the uk the usa big big market for us there are a lot of people in fact even though holland i think holland they speak some english as well Mm -hmm. and so yes holland is also a big market for us where people in germany even though germany they don't speak english but the diaspora africa's I'm speaking English. And so those were the huge, huge places, target market spots. Then you have to figure out how to acquire those people and get in touch with them. Yes. But how did you then get the first forwarder? So is there a place where you have to go to, you went to, to, when I mean a place, not physical location, but maybe an association or, or somewhere online or somewhere in a, a chamber of commerce, a group that you have to go to to get? Yes. The, in Ghana, for instance, it's a group. They are called the Ghana Institute of Freight Forwarders, and so I met the president of the group some time back ago. And he was also very excited about it. Also, we know their offices around. You know, they have office locations. Oh, you're targeting the freight forwarders in Ghana originally. Yes, so that was so how I was wondering. Okay, so you want to solve the problem initially for if you want to ship stuff to Ghana. Yes. Go to this platform. Yes. Because you're working with all the freight forwarders. Yes. The great thing is that the freight forwarding industry is a very networked industry, and so a freight forwarder in Ghana is able to serve customers worldwide because it's a chain and he has partners in the UK, the Canada, China, all over the world. So if you, you told him, okay, I want to ship my car from Canada to Ghana, he just, you only contact the partner in Canada and then, you know, the shipment will be, the process will be executed. Because it, that's the way it works and you cannot have, um, we are not like DHL. Yes, that's obviously the way. So the best way works, okay, I can, I'll do the clearing here and then you forward and so if somebody comes to you for shipping, you can then contact your guys, uh, your partner in Canada and then they send it and then you ship. So you're able to get a lot of them that way. So how many have you onboarded so far? Okay, so well, we, we had five major ones coming on board and even just one of them has in the check of 3,000 companies globally. Just one of those who came on board. So it gave us the coverage that we needed. So we were very, very much sorted in terms of coverage. Right, that's good. So now the real work is getting users, users to come to your platform. That's right. How many users have we got now? So since we started, I think we've done about um, 100 users. 100 users. Yes. But none of them have started shipping because we're about to launch your yes. platform. So you've got 100 users who say, are these people regular? Because I would not be a typical user for you because I don't ship every time. That's but right. I know for us, the business is buying stuff in Europe and sending across to Africa. So are these users, those power users that will shipping every week or just normal random people that just buy and ship maybe once or five years or yes. three years like me yes so so far we've had just random people the people who ship more regularly are our target and so right now we are not just looking at just individuals but SMEs as well is there way you can actually facilitate that by actually by looking for people that are 
selling stuff. I'm just wondering, I'm just going to think through here. So there are a few ways you can approach this. You can say, okay, I want to target the power users. What are the people that normally ship regularly? And you can trace it by going to Ghana and looking for people that import and ask for who is selling stuff for them. And then you can then go back to those people, then trace those people that used to ship stuff for them. Because there are other friends that in Bristol who collect. So if, if I want to sell send something to Nigeria, because it's not a lot, maybe some small stuff like this trip, we had to send some, because my family came with me, we had to send some things ahead. So you just came to a place, waited, and they said food that you have to pay per kilo, and he collects that and send it. Yes. So how do you track those kind of people? Yeah, so it's like you said, it's about looking out for people who are in those sort of businesses. And, um, you know, in Ghana, we know of some of them, you know, they sell their wares on Facebook. So you can tell that, okay, these are imported shoes, imported watches. And then you go and find out who they're using. Yes. Or some of the, they might even be your users as well because they want to get things shipped. So yes. they have partners that will buy stuff for them. Yes. UK or even in China, yes, they need a passion, yes, so and you can use the service, yes. And then we are offering the convenience of the, of the process because with Swiftly, all you need is just a your mobile phone and you can just visit our website or a mobile app. And then so you can mobile app. the mobile app is still with the old model, so what's going to happen is that we are updating it to the new model, which is live on the web. Because the previous model was peer-to-peer marketplace. That's right. We want it to be easy for people to discover yes. and do. So it's a very good example of you pivoting, building something, and then figuring out. Yes. How quickly did you change when you realize? How quickly did, did you start executing and stop what you're doing and, and move on to this next one? Okay, so I think that when we launched first, we just came out fresh. You know, I think after three months, because we put our energy behind the first model, trying to push it to work. But after three months, we realized the feedback coming from the customers. Whereas I know this wouldn't work. So quickly we changed. We didn't waste much more time on it. And then we thought of another way it could work out, you know, and we tried that one as well. So the process has been improving ever since we started. And which is good because you are refining your process, you are refining the model. And some of um, entrepreneurs just get stuck with one idea and because they have emotionally invested in it, very hard to kill. But even some when they realize that they need to move and change, but they, because the entrepreneurs still feel, okay, there's something here I can still continue to do while I do the new model. So did you have to just kill the whole model? So, okay, don't let us try to be doing two things. Let us kill this one and move to the next one. Is that what you did? Yes. It was very painful. It wasn't easy. You know, like you said, it comes with a lot of emotion. So it was very painful to kill what we had already started. But all I'd always tell myself is that, look, this thing will work, but not now. Come back to it later. So you have to see reason. You don't have to be stubborn. You have to see reason that, look, this is not feasible. Do something that can work now. Because the issue I faced with critical mass, I just knew for sure that nobody was going to give me $1 million or $10 million to do what I needed to do. I knew that from the wet go, from the get go. So I quickly changed and I knew that, yes, I had to face reason, even though it was painful. Yeah, that's good. And, and then again, the velocity of decision making is also important to startups. Somebody said something to me recently about in the early stage market, the most important thing you need to win is speed. Yes. The speed of execution. Yes. The person that can execute faster than the other will likely win. It's not even about the idea. It's about two people can have the same idea, same market. The person that executes faster. And execution comes with the ability to apply learning as quickly as possible. So uh, go through things and learn as fast as possible and apply learning as quickly as possible. Yes. And be able to be unemotional 
with so many things. So, and that's very good with what you've done. So, how long have you been running this swiftly? We've done um, a year and three months. And you raised money from yes. Yes. Silicon Valley VC. Draper, Draper Dark Flow. Draper Dark Flow by Toro. So, your team at the moment, you're a single founder. Yes, I. And the team you are with you are your lucky of, your major team, your founding team, and your CTO, you said this space in Nigeria. How yes. does that work? You so, do the team. to shed more light, uh, those I started with, initially when I started, I was paying for technical services. It was just a big, big stick. It didn't work for me at all. Why? Because the whole issue about commitment is kind of a quid pro quo relationship. And so you want something done and if you have, you have money at the moment, it doesn't get done for you. So who are you using? Is it outside the country? Uh, no, inside. Inside Ghana. So you got a, like a development company, yeah, a, yeah, a development software company. development company. Yes. Okay. So this is my idea. And then it brought the stuff down. And so I'm going to develop it for you. And so you, what was the major problem you had? Yeah, is it money? It's about or, yeah, and commitment because, you know, people have their own stuff that they are doing. They kind of put your work at the bottom. And so, you know, it's difficult to get it going well. And if you don't have abundant resources to be able to push around, it kind of makes it much more difficult for you. Because if you have, you know, a lot of money because of the motivation of money, they can show more commitment to your work. And you're a startup. And you're a startup. So how do you even move to have that CTO? Yes. That again, I give credit to Speed Up Africa because when we met at Speed Up Africa, that was how come I met these fantastic Nigerians and I pitched the idea to them. They loved it. Cut them equity in the business. And uh, is the CTO working full time on the business? Um, I don't think so. It's not, it's not working full time but whatever we need to get done gets done okay so this so, is part of the team but yes, not working full time not working full time no no no, no. yes but it's part of the team it's very much integral part of the team and whatever needs to be done gets done so there's no problem okay and does he have other team of people working with him as well? yes and he, he's a master programmer so he has a lot of juniors behind him for work that's good I think that's a good model that the lesson I can get from that is this so startup you don't have money and you want to avoid actually outsourcing your development you must know how to share your story so a lot of startups from the thing that what they need the most amount thing they need when they start is money it's not mm. you need other stuff as well for, yes. for money so for you it's good so you have an asset too it's like investment so you're able to show your student get people to be excited about you know, to want to join and even though there's no money for them now so that to me is part of the role of the founder um, to be able to share a story and gather and lead a fantastic team yes and that also gives you a lot of peace of mind because uh, you know when people get to own and be a part of something they are much, much more committed to it and it doesn't also put pressure on you to always be running out for money you can rather invest the money in marketing or something like that rather than having to pay developers too so what do you see the future of this market because this is a typical example of a market that technology is disrupting and changing yes. it's an existing process that people use it's an existing business but you're using technology to actually change it and innovate it better right? yes so faithful industry is a very big industry but um, it doesn't see much disruption and it doesn't see the effects of technology so much. How big is it? How big is this oh, industry? We're talking about a market of over two billion. Two billion. Sorry, sorry, two trillion. Two trillion. Yes, US dollars. Globally. Globally. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like it. A very big market. Goods worth trillions are shipped, you know, every year. So it's it needs it kind of needs much more technology. And we are coming in with technology driven fit forwarding. And so we believe that yes, we want to do this. How many people on your team are you? at the C level? We have four, and we have junior staff. Now. What do they do? What does the C level guys do? So we have yes, so we have myself as a CEO and CTO. In fact, Mofesola, who is the CTO, also has another one who helps him with the design stuff. So he's a what we call a co-CTO. So maybe two on the technical team, and then also the chief marketing officer. What does the chief marketing officer do? Number one, she makes sure that our platform looks good, and you know we need to have the right copy. We need to have.
have a list of right appearance. We need to be represented well, you know. And then again, to go to market strategy, she has a very very elaborate go to market strategy for us, you know, an execution plan. So she also supervises the junior team who would be what engaging with users. But you don't have a lot of users. Yeah, so, so this is what preparing for takeoff. That's what she's gonna be doing then with the go to market strategy that she's formulated. You know, when we start the campaigns, you know, social media campaigns, you know, and stuff. You know, we need to provide support services and engage with the users. So those are the kind of things that she's gonna be doing. But for now, it's making sure that we are well represented. The platform looks good and all that. Who is responsible for signing up the freight? The freight forwarders. Okay, so typically, yeah, I've dealt with the freight forwarders up until now. Yes, I've led the charge on that. But then, as the team is expanding now, definitely would delegate more people to reach out to the freight forwarders, try and get as many of them signed up as possible. Yes. So, you see this starting in Ghana, and you're going you're gonna to solve the problem in Ghana, and then we can expand it as yes. well. Yes, so and um, one of the things that the problem mistakes that we made was that our platform we prided ourselves that we are global you know we have a global concept we want to be global but that's difficult for a startup so it's best to start small so yeah, we just want to pick you know even if it's just the like UK Ghana trade you yes. know traffic that's the yes. good way to do it yes you want, you want to nail the more narrow it down by focusing yes so I want to ask you a few questions like fire on question as we end this podcast and just some statement I'm going to say and then I'll just need your response to them. Okay. okay. Good? Okay. What is your biggest business pain point? The cost of shipping. Yes. That's Why? A, that's Why is a that a business pain point? Uh, I thought that you have factored that into your model. Yes. What is the challenge that you face now in your, in your business? Yes. So people like to stick to their old business practices. The response to technology is quite low in this market. So converting the first orders to say, this is the way for us to... Or the users. The, both ways. Both okay. ways. So, uh, so it's educating, educating yes. the, the market. Yes. So first orders typically would want to pay agents to look for customers or salespeople to go around door to door to look for customers. That's what they've known. That's what we've been used to. You know, so we can rely on the platform and being responsive because in order for you to gain more business, you need to be responsive when the request comes. Think mm. of maybe they despise it or something like that. And so, you know, they, they are not enthusiastic about it. You know, that's that's a big problem. And generally to over here, people want to carry their own stuff to every folder. Okay, this is what I want to ship. So how much are you going to charge me? He says if he likes it, he pays for it. He likes the coat, he pays for it. He doesn't like the coat, he takes his, his baggage so, back So education the market is huge. Yes, and you need that, to. That's a big thing for anybody that's, that's entering a, a new market or change or startup that is forming a new market around something. What is your number one growth metric? What is it that you measure in your business to indicate that you're growing? So the volumes that we ship, oh. you know, the number of people who ship through yes. our platform, that's big for us. You know, so we want to say that, okay, we, we processed, uh, you know, 100, 500 shipments a week, all the way to 1,000 a week. Let me just ask now about the model. How do you get paid? What is the margin like? Yes, so initially we wanted to uh, mark up on the on the quotes. So for example, if we quote one thousand, maybe we strike two point five percent on the one thousand, and then you know mark it up, and then we take the commission. But we got to know that you know margins in the free for industry is so small. So we wanted to mark it up, we'll make it uncompetitive. So what we do is that um, we allow the process to go through. So if a free order charges one thousand, we send one thousand to the customer. The customer actually pays one thousand to the free order. But then we want to do sign up piece okay. for every maybe they pay a fee to sign up so, so the founders will pay a fee to, to be sign part up, of the to be part of the platform you know initially it will definitely be free but then as 
we as we progress. As we have more critical mass. Yes, I think that that has been the trend for marketplace businesses in Africa. Sometimes, so, so for example, the Jumia Group they have like a rent. They used to be called Namudi, something like that. And we really discovered that transaction model wouldn't work because the market doesn't understand that. So yes. people will rent a house and they will not want to pay you. So they, what it did was that subscription. So after the market has moved, after they will get enough liquidity on their platform and it, be- it became a place that people go to, they can deliver value and then they started charging the suppliers. So yes. that's what you want to do. Yes. And so, you know, as we progress, in order for you to receive more deals from us, then you need to pay. But that's a bit risky as well because you need to get a critical mass. That's it. So as, it's quite progressive. So for now, we don't charge anything okay. offered for us to come on board. But as we grow, then for you to receive prefer- preference, then we'll have to, you know, yeah, so more like a freemium. Like liquidity. A lot of people using the platform for it to make for sense for any first forward that you want to pay. Yes. Okay. Which book are you reading at the moment? Hmm. I'm quite religious, and so I, I read a lot of Christian literature, which helps me. Which one are you reading? Jesus Among Other Gods. I think it's by Ravi Zacharias. Jesus Among Other Gods. Other Gods, by yes. Yes, it is. I even have it in my bag right now. It is um, Ravi is an apologist. Yeah, I know Ravi. Yes, yes. yes. I'm happy when I get critical thinking on issues. I like to you know, get listen to arguments and stuff. You can't just accept stuff or just because somebody says so. You need to think it through. Do you know Tim Keller? I think I've heard the name. I've never read Tim Keller is another very good um, um, it's a pastor from in New York and lives in Presbyterian Church in New York. But he's an apologist as well and his, his teachings are very, very intelligent and he's so, um, he questions a lot of things and he actually explains um, deep things in a very simple way. But his message is tailored towards people that don't normally go to church, people that will question the basis of the Bible or the basis of whether there's a God. So he doesn't come from the assumption that he you accept or you believe what he believes in that, that and it's a good one and, and it's a super intelligent guy yes yeah, so I should try and read him because yeah, yeah, I like it there's a book called uh, The Reason for God mm. that he wrote and um, six or seven years ago and it's a very good book and it explains lots of questions about um, Christianity and, and, and actually each chapter was like okay if there's a God why is there something and it, why is, doesn't science disprove to the Bible yes and um, uh, can you explain evolution and, and calling the Bible creation theory and a lot of things that, that he had tried to explain is quite articulate in the way he explains them in the book. Well, I should, I should get that. I think I'll love it. Which business is getting you excited at the moment? Wow. I think I, I know of businesses that I admire. I know Uber has been in the news for bad reasons, but I love Uber. I like Uber a lot. Admar, the company, I think they've done fantastic. I like Airbnb. Sorry, I'm being biased. Yes, Yes, but you know, whenever I travel, you know, I use Airbnb and I think they are solving a big problem for us, for me personally, because um, I'm in Accra, Ghana. Recently, I was in Singapore and I don't know anybody in Singapore. In Singapore, the hotel rates were nice to sound. hundred dollars standard hotel but i got airbnb and i paid think 26 dollars for a night and it was very comfortable stay you know very very private and comfortable yeah where we're, where we're having this podcast in ghana in accra lusu is airbnb awesome it's in a very nice apartment yes. that i booked two days ago let's look at this you know, it's a very beautiful place yeah, it's a very central nice place yes i love that these are people whose businesses have, have benefited my life and I, I i'm very very happy and uber whenever i travel and then i usually get around you know it's very very easy you don't have to go and then 
be searching for a you know taxi or something like that for the comfort of your hotel you can just hail a ride and then you come out and it's waiting for you jump on board and you go so i i love uber and airbnb and i also like google yes google i my google has been around for a long time but google you know google should be much You're more appreciated big businesses so yes. which startup are you finding exciting now okay so maybe in ghana actually in ghana yes there's a company called farmer line and i've heard about them they do very well they help uh, small farmers you know in the marketing of their wares and all that which is good and i like i like companies that are into agriculture because so i just had about some of the podcasts as well agro center oh, yes i yes agro center that's my personal friend he was here just a few minutes ago oh i see francis is my friend he's my good friend yes he's actually, actually, it was mike that came oh i see oh i can't see mm-hmm. yes uh, i've heard about mike through but France is my very good friend and uh, they are doing very well you know small other farms you know connecting them and I'm, I'm passionate about agriculture I like I like that over around the continent as well I've been exposed to a lot of companies doing fantastic stuff I went at Demo Africa in 2016 you know by a lot of people who were doing some stuff good Adam yes uh, thank you very much for coming to this podcast I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I hope a lot of people are learning from it as well Thank you very much, Doctor. You're also somebody that uh, we know about in the industry, and we we greatly admire. We receive you know, tips from you day in day out. You know, sometimes I remember one of them in particular was telling us about how we can market for cheap. You know, much cheaper than paying a lot of money to do marketing. So thank you for you know being in this industry and then trying to help startups to move forward. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm glad you found uh, our newsletter useful. Yes. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A. and sign up for our newsletter it will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy if you subscribe now it will help us a lot thanks